Do you ever feel like the whole world has gone insane? Yeah, you're not alone. I feel that way. In fact, the majority of people feel that way. The truth is, we were all sold this great lie that being part of a silent majority was something we should be proud of. Being a silent majority allowed a very loud, angry group of people to control everything. And problem there is, that small group of people, they're communists. I say that myself as someone who's the son of a Cuban refugee who had to flee communism. I know the reality of how important the American dream is. I know how quickly we can lose freedom. And that's why this is our last stand. I'm your host, Robbie Starbuck, and I'm going to be diving deep on the issues and people that matter so that together we can save the American dream and once again become a loud majority that steers the direction of this country. If you're with me and you want to spread truth and wake up the masses, you're in the right place. Together, one piece of truth at a time, we can save America. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We've got a great one planned for you today. We're gonna cover so many issues. I couldn't fit it all in the description, but we're going to cover a bunch of crazy stuff. But to start the show today, a piece of great news that has really flown under the radar, I wanna pull up for you. This was confirmed by Christina Pushaw, who's a spokeswoman for DeSantis. This is a quote from Governor DeSantis in Florida. He said, I'm gonna be working with the Florida Surgeon General to hold these vaccine manufacturers accountable. They made claims about the mRNA vax that wasn't true and people were injured as a result. Um, for those of you who don't know, the Surgeon General down in Florida that DeSantis named uh, Joe Lapido, he has been fantastic. He has been literally the best that we have ever had in my lifetime anywhere in the country. He needs to be the Surgeon General for the United States. The man is a fighter. He is about the science. He is actually, you know, one of those people that really cares about the health of the nation. He doesn't believe in sick care. He believes in health care. And he genuinely wants to see people in a position where they're healthier. Imagine that from a medical professional, but he really does. And um, it's refreshing. And so to see DeSantis go after the manufacturers so directly, this is rare in politics. And it's important because if he can set the standard that we are going to hold these companies accountable, we are going to see a lot of things change. It has the potential to be a historic change-making move. He's got to follow through and that's what we're going to be watching. And that's what we'll be bringing back to you guys as follow-up on this story, because it is very important that we have people hold these companies accountable. Absolutely critical to the future of really medical freedom in America. And also just your ability to hold companies accountable who defraud you. You know, I mean, I don't think there's any question at this point that people were told things that were not true. And I think the companies were aware of this. And we've seen enough evidence of that to know that there was awareness, um, even testimony from employees of the company, which we saw recently in the EU. And to have this sort of testimony, this proof, you know, in any other business, you'd be in big trouble. I mean, if you or I did this with our own companies, we would be in big trouble. We would probably be, you know, it, honestly, we'd probably be in jail if we're being truthful. And so, you know, I think it's an important story. Uh, speaking of important stories, next one is going to be this Twitter story. The Twitter files that Elon Musk has had released, um, we found out a lot of things. One of them is that the FBI warned Twitter during weekly meetings of Hunter Biden's hack and leak operation, of the Hunter Biden hack and leak operation before censoring the post. Okay, so 
First of all, a lot of this is BS because the FBI knew that this was not Russian disinformation. The 50 intelligence um, operatives who all signed on saying that this was Russian disinformation, they themselves were all disinformation artists doing this because they were trying to help Joe Biden get into the White House. And those people all need to be held accountable at this point. But our FBI, our Department of Justice, the Department of Homeland Security, they are all out of control. And to get further into the story, um, you know, I want to I want to take a look at this. What my friend Jack said he said the Twitter files show Twitter was censoring users based on direct requests from the Biden team in October 2020, and you know, God knows for how much longer. I don't know how else to put this. There needs to be an impeachment inquiry immediately. He is absolutely right. This is something where we've got to hold power accountable. The truth has got to win out in the end, and we can't allow our elected leaders to take a road of weakness. At the end of the day, something amazing has happened from social media and the internet over recent years, and that's that the power of the people has grown considerably and will continue to grow considerably as our voices become louder and louder and louder. The reality is the reason why members of Congress come to me and ask me questions about how things will be received or ask me, ask me what needs to be the next priority up and things along those lines is because of people like you. It's not that I'm so amazing or I have such great ideas. It's that people like you are raising your voices so much and that together in unison, we're making such an impact in terms of what the base is you know, concerned about and what we want done that they feel a responsibility more and more to listen to us. And this is one of those areas where we can put a lot of pressure. I think that there's there's no way around it. You have to have an impeachment inquiry to get to the bottom of exactly how much Joe Biden knew and when he knew it, because this has the potential, and I think already is personally, my own personal opinion, far worse than Watergate this is. you know. So, And I'll get into that a little bit more. Um, this was my take, and I've got a little bit of news here, I think, um, you know, we haven't talked about in terms of what's coming because the Twitter files are not done yet. But here's my take. The corruption and bias that Elon Musk is exposing it in the Twitter files isn't just an anomaly that happened at Twitter. The same or worse is happening at Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, Amazon, all the rest of big tech and all of mainstream media. This is a peek into their corruption, too. Um, I spelled peak wrong. That's first thing. So sorry about the typo. But secondly, seriously, this is something that, you know, we're getting a peek in to the corruption that's happening all over the media. And it's why the media is fighting this so, so, so crazily. You know, I mean, they are absolutely crazed over what's being released in the Twitter files because they are afraid of the truth, because the truth is they are biased partisan activists. This is not real journalism, what we're seeing on a day-to-day -day basis. This is working PR for a political party. It is the destruction of the foundation of our country. And I think that's very important to continually remind people of, that this is not journalism, period. What we are seeing in this country and what happened in the Twitter files, what is going to be released, what you're going to see is a microcosm of everything going on throughout all avenues of big tech, social media in general, um, all, all of the media companies. And it's something that we have got to have a cultural movement of change. And I think it's why you know we're headed towards a future where citizen journalism is really what people trust. And I think that's already the case. You know this because you're watching this right now. This citizen journalism that you and I engage in, this is the future. This is what's you know really trustworthy because here's the thing you know, is that if I ever get anything wrong, I, I'm not so egotistical that I can't come on here and say, hey, 
I got this one wrong. I'm sorry, guys. You know, I should have done better. I apologize. And I'll correct myself. Mainstream media won't behave that way. We all know that. I mean, that's very clear. You can just see on a day-to-day basis. They're not interested in actually holding power to account or being honest with their viewers. It's all about manipulation. And to get to that point, before we finish with the, the story here with Twitter files, I just want to really drive that point home in terms of what is important to the media and how they're working to manipulate people. So I want you to watch this video that we've got today. Um, it's a very, I mean, I think you just watch. You watch. You're smart enough to figure this out yourself. Cautious while looking for health information in the Twitterverse. Be extra cautious while looking for health information in the Twitterverse. Be extra cautious while looking for health information in the Twitterverse. Be extra cautious while looking for health information in the Twitterverse. Be extra cautious while looking for health information on the Twitterverse. Be extra cautious while looking for health information on the Twitterverse. Be extra cautious while looking for health information in the Twitterverse. Be extra cautious while looking for health information on Twitter. Be extra cautious while looking at health information on Twitter. Be extra cautious while looking for health information on Twitter. Be extra cautious while looking for health information on Twitter. Be extra cautious while you're looking for health information on Twitter. Be extra cautious while looking for health information on Twitter. Be extra cautious while looking for any information from the media. I mean, Can you make this stuff up? You really can't. These people are parrots. They have no original thought. They're not going to be there to tell you the truth. They're not going to be there to admit when they're wrong. They're there to read a script for the elite, for the people who are truly in power, who tell them what they need to say to spin whatever narrative it is that they want to use to control you and take more of your money. That's the truth. I wish it wasn't, but it is. And you see this stuff, it slips by most people. But when you edit it together and you see this, you see it all in conjunction with one another, and I'm sure we could keep going, it's very clear what's going on, okay? This is an operation. This is a psychological operation to try to undermine the truth, to try to subvert the truth in the minds of Americans, period. They want to change the fabric and culture of our nation, and this is a piece of their manipulative manipulative agenda to do it. Okay. So you watch a video like this, it's very clear what they're doing and why they're doing it. And so um, if there's anywhere you shouldn't be as cautious, it's probably Twitter in terms of that information, because that's where the truth is allowed to be shared now. Whereas on other platforms, it'll be banned more on that later because of me being censored over the weekend. But um, to get back to our story here, you know, I want to bring up something else uh, that's relevant as well. And uh, this is, you know, Myra Flores. I love her, by the way. I think she's got to run for for statewide office in Texas. Um, she said, employees at Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, all these places are probably deleting all kinds of internal communications right now. And that is absolutely right. Absolutely right. Uh, but here is what is important on the Twitter files. The Twitter files are still in their opening act. Matt Taibbi, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, and Elon Musk himself have made clear the whole range of internal documents will soon be shared with the public, and the Democrats may face a reckoning that stretches all the way up to the White House. So I can tell you, this is where I have a little bit of you know information. I can tell you that um, there's a lot more coming, number one, but number two, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, my name appears in some of these documents that are coming up. And here's why. Because, you know, as I told you guys months ago and we broke the story about the Election Integrity Partnership, who is made up of four entities, and those four entities have been paid over $12 million by the Biden administration in grants. 
um, the EIP was tasked with censoring specific people, okay? And there was a, a basically an enemies list of about 20, a little over 20, I think it was 22 people. And uh, I was on it, the Trump family's on it, you know, each one of his kids, um, Jack Posobiec's on it, Charlie Kirk, Tom Fitton at Judicial Watch, James Woods. Um, there, there's a number MTG. I was the only one who was an active federal candidate at the time that they did this, which kind of changes the game in terms of, you know, them subverting an election as openly as they did and having me censored. So that list was a censorship list and it worked to a degree. So they weren't able to ban all of us outright. Some people got banned on that list. Others got uh, censored. And so in my case, I was censored. They instituted a search ban in the same 24-hour period, which, by the way, was uh, right after I gave a speech warning big tech of what was coming in terms of their future when it comes to regulation. Literally, as I get off stage, you know, it was probably a couple hours later that this all happens. Within a 24-hour period, Instagram and Twitter did a search ban on my account, de-boosted my replies. So they de-boost you in the algorithm so less of your followers see what you're talking about. And then YouTube stopped sending notifications to my subscribers. So as you'll see on my YouTube page, if you go to youtube.com slash Robbie Starbuck, I have, I think, 100, close to 130,000 subscribers, something like that. And I've had over 100 million views on my videos. Now, here's what's weird is that previous to that date, all of my subscribers were getting notifications. Post that date, only people who have subscribed since that date get any notifications. So my view counts just took an absolute nosedive on YouTube, which is, by the way, you know, I believe in Rumble. Rumble is the future um, if you want freedom. So this is streaming live on Rumble. I encourage everybody, if you want the best stream, go to rumble.com slash Robbie Starbucks, subscribe. Um, but that's the place, you know, where we can at least count on not being censored. But on YouTube, they've done that to suppress it. So this all happened in a 24-hour period, is my point. And I talked to Lee Fang um, over at The Intercept. He did a big story on DHS and their censorship machine. And I asked him point blank, you know, is there involvement from the EIP and what the EIP did to us? And he told me point blank, yes, um, there was involvement. And, um, you know, hopefully this will be part of further reporting when it comes to the Twitter files, because Twitter obviously has a role to play in this since they were one of the entities that, you know, sent, essentially censored me uh, along with the other people on that list. So I think that's an important story to be told. And when it does, we'll get you the first um, story. I really hope if you, if you don't have time right now, Come back to this stream later and watch because we're going to cover so many things. It's probably going to be one of my longest lives I've done because all of this stuff is very important to talk about. Um, I do want to tell you this next story um, is really important to me. This is probably, I'd say, top story today in terms of closeness to my heart because I've talked with a lot of these soldiers' families. I, I've listened to their families cry. I've listened to the way that this has hurt them. So let me read the headline to you. Thousands of troops have been kicked out for refusing the COVID vaccine. Undoing the 2021 policy would be a win for Republicans who argue that it's exacerbating a recruiting and retention crisis. Um, and then we've got the second headline. Defense bill could roll back vaccine, a uh, COVID vaccine policy. Top Dem says. Then we've got this. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says he wants to keep the military's COVID vaccine mandate in place. He believes that it protects the health of the troops, even though Republican lawmakers and governors are pushing for it to be rescinded. So uh, this is going to come up in the NDAA, um, the Defense Authorization Act. 
So final defense legislation set to be unveiled next week could undo the Pentagon's policy of kicking out troops for not taking the COVID vaccine, the Democratic chair of the House Armed Services Committee said Saturday. So let me give you a little bit of background on this whole thing. Um, I'm going to be covering this in one of our future episodes uh, more in depth in a, in a pre-tape talking to soldiers and their families because I think it's important their stories get out there. And so if you're watching this right now, you know somebody who is an unvaccinated soldier and is able to make it to Tennessee in the next week, um, we're going to be doing this sit down with soldiers and their families. So feel free to direct message me on Twitter. And if you direct message me on Twitter, obviously we'll have to verify that they are in fact a service member, are in fact, you know, in this situation. So there will be a verification process to ensure that everybody who is a part of it is absolutely, you know, what they say they are. Uh, but if you know somebody like that who really wants to tell their story, you know, feel free to send a direct message on Twitter. We will check them all throughout the week to make sure that um, we hear from everybody. And uh, that's, that's the easiest place. So don't send it anywhere else. A lot of the other places are hard to keep track of. So that's that's an easy place to send messages. Um, now let's see here. You know, when it comes to our power on this, we actually have a lot to end this. And if we don't end this and get these soldiers back pay, then it is official. Our party has absolutely no spine. Absolutely no spine. And everybody responsible needs to be held accountable in the next election. We need primaries against people. This is not a joke. This is not a small issue. These are people's lives. Their children are affected. Their spouses are affected. They are affected. These are the bravest among us, the people who signed up and volunteered to give their life for you and me. If we can't stand up and raise our voices to help them, then we're no better than the Democrats. We really aren't. I mean, you can fool yourself into thinking you are, but honestly, it's almost worse. At least we know what the Democrats are. But if we, on the other hand, just say, oh, this is wrong. And so morally, we know it's wrong, but then we failed to stand up. We failed to do the right thing. That's on us. So I want you guys to reach out to your legislators. Let them know this is a red line. It is very easy to get their email addresses, very easy to get their phone numbers. You just search your senator's name, your congressman's name, and honestly, you should do every member of the House in your state if you have time. And send them all an email, call their offices, and let them know this is a red line. And then tell your friends, copy and paste those phone numbers and those emails, send them to your friend group of people who care about this stuff, and tell them, we really need to do this because this is coming up fast. They're hoping to slip it by you. Do not let them slip it by you. We are going to fight on this issue. We're going to do everything we can to get these soldiers, not just back pay, but get them reinstated if they want to be reinstated and to end this policy. It is also killing, killing our future for the military. We are not ready. We are not at combat readiness to our, to our very best degree. We are in a dangerous place should anything kick off in the world because we have lost the best among us who have been kicked out. And beyond that, we also have a recruiting crisis. So this has got to end. It's got to be fixed. It's very important, which is why I wanted to bring it up early in the show. And the other thing, too, we have got to show that we have the moral character to care about our troops. Okay, because I want to show you a story. This isn't in America, and I try not to cover too much stuff in the world outside of our country because we have our own problems. And I feel like as long as we have the moral issues that we have as a country, we really have no business going and, and telling other countries. But I will tell you this, there's going to be some where I just, I have to say something. And this is one of them. So I want to bring uh, this story in. Let's see, where is it? Uh, right there. So disabled 
Canadian Army veteran, Paralympian, blasts government for offering to euthanize her when she complained about how long it was taking to install a stair lift at her home. Okay, now I want you guys to watch this video. For Christine Gautier, the fight to get a wheelchair lift in her home has been an uphill battle. I have to crawl down the stairs on my, on my butt with the wheelchair in front of me to be able to access my, my house. While pleading her case to a Veterans Affairs case manager over the phone in 2019, she was told something that would leave her feeling shocked. If things are so hard at this point and uh, you, you just can't keep going on, then you, you know we can assist you with uh, aid to die. And she's not the only one. Just absolutely, absolutely horrible. Um, Sorry, I'm pulling this down real quick. So, I mean, you watch that video, you see this woman. She, she was not in any need of assisted death. First of all, I mean, the idea is just insane, but this is where Canada's at, is they're actually encouraging people to die. Yeah, I can't even say what I wanna say because unfortunately this is also streaming to YouTube, but you know what I'm talking about. They're, they're euthanizing people. I mean, this is government healthcare out in the open. How many times have we seen American politicians say we need to copy Canada? And now we're seeing this massive movement in Canada of them euthanizing people, including young, young, young people. We've seen young people who are dealing with depression and mental health issues, and the government is suggesting they be euthanized. Okay. I mean, that is the very basis of so many of the biggest most vile scandals in human history is wiping people out and suggesting that they just die. How is this different? It's not. This is not different. And we have no moral high ground if we don't call things like this out and ensure that we fight for a future where this can never happen in America. It is absolutely disgusting what they're doing. And Honestly, I don't know how these people live with themselves. And I think that's something that, you know, we've got to make sure people know about when they bring up this idea of government run healthcare. Because let me tell you, our healthcare system's broken. I'm not one of those people that's going to pretend to with you that our system is great. Our system has a lot of problems. But at the end of the day, if you have serious, serious issues, you can get care and not be told, hey, let's let's get you killed. You know, we just don't have the resources to get a stair lift in your house as a veteran. So let's just sign you up to be euthanized. Imagine that. We can't ever let that happen in the United States of America. So that's that's what they're doing in Canada. It's disgusting. Um, speaking of disgusting, let's move on to the next story, which is Balenciaga. And I promise there will be good news later in the show today, but unfortunately, lots of bad news um, to start. So my wife wrote this this weekend, and I thought that it perfectly captures the problem we're facing when it comes to Balenciaga and uh, all, basically all the child exploitation we're seeing. She said, it's not just the fashion industry. It's not just the music industry. It's not just the porn industry. It's not just the art world. It's not just Hollywood. It's in our community, it's in our schools, it's on our screen. Child exploitation is an epidemic. And honestly, it's also a pandemic because it's all over the world. But the epidemic part, like this is, America is central to this problem, okay? It is central to this problem. And so I was so proud of my wife, mom army, 
and uh, Ga Gays Against Groomers. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else partnered, uh, but really everybody who came together to make these Balenciaga protests happen over the weekend. I don't know if you heard about them, but all over the country, we had moms and dads, I mean, mostly moms, but all of these people showing up to protest Balenciaga all over the country. I couldn't fit all the protest videos in, and I also don't want to eat up, you know, 20 minutes playing protest videos, but I do want to play for you one of the videos. This is the one from here in Nashville that my wife uh, was a part of, along with uh, Lucy Riles over at uh, the Mom Army. Mom Army is doing great stuff. Um, so let's play this. We'll go to the clip real quick. Hey guys, we're at the Green Hills Mall outside of Nordstrom's and we are protesting. So we got everybody on every corner here. All right, all right. I am here because I think it's the responsibility of all of us to come together on one side that we can all unify behind. And that is to protect our children at all costs. And if you can't get behind that, there's a real issue. I am here because I don't have kids and I have plenty of friends and family that do. And so if they're not able to speak up, I'm going to speak up for them and I'm going to speak along with them. And it's our responsibility to all be together and come together because there's a lot going on and the light needs to be shined on. Why are y'all here today? To me, it's that it's astonishing to me that we should even have to be here, first of all, but with the Balenciaga ad and the fetishizing of children and then acting like it's an okay thing is so obviously not okay. And it's really appalling that we even have to be out here. Everyone should just automatically be on board with this, but they're not. So we're out here to try and bring awareness, help people know what's going on so that they can also raise their voices and we can protect kids. It's shocking how many people don't know about it. And I think we just have to keep bringing awareness and we have to do something. We have to keep, we'll stop waiting for someone to come in and fix this or arrest someone or do something. We have to all be involved. So this same thing is happening all over the country, okay, over this past weekend, and it really is going to make change, I believe. I think that Nordstrom is going to have a hard time uh, ignoring this because they did this outside of Nordstrom's all over the country. And in doing so, we're putting pressure there for Nordstrom to drop Balenciaga. I have heard rumors already that some management there have already dropped it at specific stores. This is something that we're going to work to confirm and bring more news to you on as it progresses and develops. But this direct action is so important to setting a culture of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. So if you've never taken part in something like this, let me tell you, it is time. We have reached the point in history where there's no excuse. It helps create the culture we want to see for our children and grandchildren. And that's just, that's where I'm at. You know, I had a phone call today with somebody that I know who's very successful. Um, he's, he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe even over a billion at this point. And we had a conversation about the point in history we're at. And, you know, I'm starting to see more and more of these people who previously were so focused on making money and power and things along those lines refocus their energies to how do I make a difference? How do I change things? How do I become the change maker I want to be so that my kids and grandkids have the opportunities that, that they deserve to have as Americans? How do I make sure that they don't have a future that's dystopian, Marxist, socialist, hell? And... To see this, this, this waking up is so beautiful. I will play a clip though, because this clip is kind of how I feel um, as I see people waking up. It's, it's funny, but I, I just wanted to play it. Now everybody is seeing what I have seen for the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that. That's Michael Irvin. He was talking about sports, of course, but no, seriously, it's, it's, 
it's a beautiful thing to see people starting to see the things that we've been talking about for years now. And we're going to talk about a couple of those issues in a minute. Um, you know, one of them is, is what Planned Parenthood is doing with their uh, comprehensive, they call it comprehensive sexual education um, and BDSM teachers and things along those lines. But before we get to all that, um, I want to cover a couple other stories. So one of them is that uh, Instagram censored me. This is uh, an image from that censorship, um, and this is what I posted afterwards. Instagram removed my posts about the vile art sold by auction company Christie's, which is owned by the CEO of Balenciaga's parent company. He also happens to be Salma Hayek's husband, who has been silent on this and has not spoken out against any of the child exploitation involved in this story. So essentially, they're allowed to profit off of exploiting and sexualizing kids, but we aren't allowed to call it out. It's absolutely disgusting. And to be honest, I was left to wonder if Salma Hayek called in a favor since my posts that they pulled down had gotten millions and millions and millions of views, okay? They don't like the bad PR. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's strings being pulled in the back to have things, quote unquote, handled like we saw in the Twitter files, but uh, this time on Instagram and on Facebook as well. So that censorship is happening. That's why I am cross multi-platforms and, and we post everywhere because if one censors us or one bans us, we're other places too. So make sure you're followed everywhere and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and my email list. That's huge because you'll get alerts for the podcast and when we're live and when the pre-taped episodes come out and so on and so forth. So um, there's a link up on my Twitter page right now. So if you go to twitter.com slash Robbie Starbuck, you'll see a link. I think I posted like an hour or two ago that if you go to that link, it's got all of the different places you can subscribe. It's, you know, the Apple podcast app, uh, Amazon podcast app, Spotify, Rumble, YouTube, so on and so forth. There's a bunch of them. And I, I would really appreciate if you sub to all those. And great news, our first episode of the pre-taped show that was with Chris Beck, the Navy SEAL who previously had come out as transgender on Anderson Cooper and came out on our show as detransitioning. That show has been viewed um, over 500,000 times now um, across all platforms. So that's a blessing and a testament to all of you. You spread it like wildfire. And that's what we need to do with the truth is spread it like wildfire. The more this show grows, the more the truth grows, the more we all grow in terms of making this movement one that can actually make real change happen. So as we open people's eyes, as we get the truth out there, good things happen. And we see that already with say, you know, the bills were getting done across the country. I told you all earlier, I guess last week, we're going to have an announcement coming soon with a lawmaker who is going to be introducing a bill in another state that is built around a lot of our ideas when it came to the Childhood Protection Act. So um, next story to jump into, COVID scam. What a surprise. Secret Service recently disclosed that hackers linked to the Chinese Communist Party stole at least 20 million in coronavirus relief benefits. Um, is anybody, literally anybody surprised by this? The Secret Service said that small business, that SBA loans and unemployment insurance funds experienced theft of taxpayer funds in over a dozen states. Law enforcement and cybersecurity experts added that the theft committed by this hacking group known as APT41 may just be the tip of the iceberg. The report added that the Labor Department Office of Inspector General has discovered an improper payment rate of about 20% of the $872.5 billion in federal coronavirus-related unemployment funds and that the true cost of fraud may actually be higher 
Additionally, an analysis of four states showed that 42.4% of coronavirus benefits were paid improperly in the first six months. Is anybody surprised by this? Literally anybody. This is what we said the entire time was going to happen. Okay. And I'll be honest with y'all. I vacillate between knowing I did the right thing and being very proud of that by not taking any PPP loans or anything like that. And then on the flip side, I'm like, man, I also look like an idiot that I didn't take any of these loans. And I did the real bootstraps American thing. And I made sure that every, you know, thing that we were accountable to in terms of our businesses and things along those lines that we took care of business without asking the government for a handout. When you look back now and you see everybody who applied for a PPP loan and everybody who took advantage of it to the degree that they did, you're like, hmm, I feel a little stupid doing it the way I did. But at the end of the day, I know I did the right thing because I really feel like if I preach the values that I preach about not relying on the government, that, you know, it's something I've got to really be a leader on. You know, obviously, if you're in a position where the government does force your business completely shut, I think that the government is responsible for paying you back. And I said that as well before. Um, at the end of the day, none of this should have ever happened. They should have never forced businesses to be closed. They should have never done shutdowns, never done lockdowns. I mean, this was my criticism of President Trump. And you all know I, I loved all the policy President Trump brought in his presidency. But this was the point of contention for me was that the lockdown should have never happened. And I was a vocal uh, opponent of lockdowns, vocally against the masking, vocally against all these things, because I really felt like, you know, they said the cure can't be worse than than the disease or cure can't be worse than the virus. And I felt that it was. And I think in the end, I've been vindicated in that belief that it was. And, you know, the raising up of people like Dr. Fauci into positions of total authority where people knew his face and his name and his he essentially became a decider on all things COVID with the most power of any bureaucrat ever in American history who has never been elected, never been put up for a vote. The American people did not choose him, do not want him. And he was put in a position where he was more powerful than the president for a period of time. And I think that's something we have to be really honest about and figure out, you know, how do we fix this in the future so that nobody like Fauci ever is in a position to rise to power again? I think that's important. Um, I want to bring this up. This is an, a wild story. I don't even have a word for it. But uh, this is a headline I saw over the weekend. More deaths among vaccinated Americans is not a reason to avoid vaccines, experts say. Who are these experts? That's what I want to know. Who are these experts? I would like to meet them and have a conversation with these experts. If any of them are watching or you know any of them, I would like to debate you. I would like to talk to you. I'd like to just ask you questions because you guys look crazy at this point. Okay. I know you like to call people like us conspiracy theorists, but like the way people used to view conspiracy theorists where they were like, oh, people are a little kooky. That's how we view you guys now. OK, that's how the American public views all of y'all, because you're ignoring common sense at every turn. OK, and when you ignore common sense at every turn, you look silly. And that's how stuff like this looks to us. OK, doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on. OK, this is just a common sense side of the fence. So I guess it does matter if if we're fencing common sense, but if we're fencing political parties, it doesn't. Um, you know, I mean, it's just lunacy at this point, okay? Let's let common sense dictate our belief systems. And by the way, I don't know about any of you guys, but I don't want an expert in anything telling me what to do, okay? If there's anything I've learned over the past, you know, five to 10 years, it's that we have grossly, and I mean grossly, 
overstated the importance and the knowledge of experts, quote unquote experts. We, we raised up all of these people whose achievement is essentially that they got a piece of paper from a university. And obviously there's, you know, they've got to pass classes and things like that to go along that. And this is not a knock on people going and, and doing this. It's a knock on the fact that we've raised them up into this like godlike position of authority when it comes to information. As if somebody who's a farmer and didn't go to college doesn't have the, you know, sort of creativity and expertise and ability to read that a lot of those people have. And can't have the intelligence to come to similar or better conclusions than people who are quote unquote experts. I'm just sick of it personally. I don't want to be talked down to and condescended by experts, quote unquote experts. I feel like honestly, a lot of the smartest people I know never went to college. Okay. I know some very smart people who did go to college and this is, I, I, I went to college. So I'm saying that myself, some of the very smartest people I know did not go to college. Okay. I had amazing grades in school. Okay. I was a fantastic student. I did amazingly well. I graduated very early, um, years early. Okay. I was one of those people that was like, I looked like a baby when I was in my first year of college. Okay. Um, I, I was 15 years old when I was doing my first college classes. Okay. Um, so education wise, like I, I should be one of those people saying, Oh, I, I'm lauding how important education is. We should really uplift people who are doing well in that field. Here's the reality. It's all bunk. Okay. It's a certain type of intelligence and it is not necessarily the most important intelligence. In fact, the things that are the most important to me that I've learned in life, I did not learn in school and were much more difficult than school was. So we have to be honest about the fact that education is not just school. Okay. And that people who don't go to college and are not necessarily those textbook paper experts, because they don't have the degree, they can be smarter than the people with the degree. And so I'm tired of these things, these, these experts, you know, going out and pretending that they should dictate what reality is for us and they should dictate how we live our lives. I'm sorry, no expert is going to tell me how to live my life. And they're definitely not going to be my moral authority. My moral authority is Jesus Christ. And, you know, y'all can pick your own moral authority, but that's the one that I believe in. And that's, that's who I follow. And so if, you know, some people out there want to follow these experts, you know, knock yourself out. But I think it looks silly at this point when these people are, are going and running with, again, headlines like this. More deaths among vaccinated Americans is not a reason to avoid vaccines, experts say. You know, so knock yourself out. You want to do that? That's your own business. Enjoy it. Um, that's not something that uh, I want to be involved in. But um, here's the next story. You know, we talked about Balenciaga a little bit earlier, but I want to bring this up. Balenciaga, if you if you noticed, at the beginning of this whole controversy, they announced this big lawsuit. We're going to hold the ad company accountable who made the ads, which was always BS. They're dropping the lawsuit as quietly as they can. And here's the thing. It was always BS. Balenciaga was intensely involved in the creation of the ad. That's how this business works. Okay. So from conception to shooting to the execution, to how they put it out. Balenciaga was signing off all along the way, okay? None of them raised red flags on this as far as the public knows, and it got out to the public. So at least we know nobody raised a red flag that had any sort of action behind it to stop this because it came out, the ads came out. This is just cleanup on aisle three for them, okay? They're hoping the story goes away and there's been a lot of things out there to try to divert our attention to other subjects. I mean, just look no further than the Kanye interviews, okay? And Kanye even backing Balenciaga and these other celebrities backing them still. 
they're going to try to distract, distract, distract until the point where people just aren't paying attention anymore and they get to move on. We are not going to allow that. We're not going to drop the story. We're going to keep bringing it up. We're going to keep covering it. And honestly, I think this is really going to hurt them in the end. I think that it's going to change the culture around what it means when you wear a product from a company like this. And it's not just going to stop at Balenciaga. My wife talked about it earlier. It's not just one place, not just one thing. This is a society-wide problem in our culture, and it is rooted in evil. And if we don't call it out at every turn on every front, then we are going to lose this country. And so that's why it's so important to me to not let go of this and to keep investigating other companies who will be similarly involved and implicated in similar types of behaviors. That's my word on that. Um, I do want to give you guys a little hope in the world, though. So here's your hope in the world for the day. You guys are actually I have two pieces of hope in the world for today. So it's a very hopeful day. OK, here's the first one. A tampon dispenser who was ripped off a Lions Township high school boys bathroom wall and stuffed in the toilet. OK, <laughs> this is the boys pulled it off the wall and stuck it in the toilet because Presumably, the woke administration, the woke school board, or somebody decided that the boys' bathroom needed a tampon dispenser, okay? And the boys said, ha-ha, no, we're not having a tampon dispenser in our bathroom, and they removed it and disposed of it. And, you know, obviously, I hope that they save this, the you know products for use of the people who need it. But I think in sentiment, the boys were exactly correct in the direction our country needs to go, which is to laugh at this lunacy and end this lunacy. And they said, we're not going to participate in this. So they better uh, bolt that sucker to the wall if they want to keep it there. And I have a feeling that that's not even going to stop these boys. I think that they will find a way to remove it and bring a tool if they need to, <laughs> to get that thing out of their bathroom. And kudos to the boys. I mean, I'm not typically one that says, you know, uh, removing school property is a good idea. But in this case... I mean, how can you blame these kids? This is lunacy. We're asking our kids to participate in a total mental delusion. And I'm proud of the kids who are saying, no, I'm not going to participate in this deluded idea that I can just decide to be the other gender and walk in the girl's bathroom and vice versa. Okay. So I I'm proud of the boys. Um, you know, second piece of good news. This one might take me a second to pull up because there's a lot of stories today. So, oh, here it is. Okay. So this is funny too. Um, let me see if I can read this. I'm going to need my glasses for this one. Um, small writing. Okay. Um, student's name is Hank Beanie. The parent posted this apparently. Student was, this is a sixth grader, by the way. Student was covering his ears while CNN was on. He was asked to stop and listen to the video. He replied, I don't want to listen to Democrats and continued to cover his ears. So he got detention. Okay. Um, if that was my son, um, not only would he not be in trouble, he would be rewarded at home. And also, and I typically, again, I typically am all about respect your teachers, respect authority, but your kids should not be forced, subjected to listening to Democrats um, politicize things on CNN as part of their education. We're going to talk more about education in a minute. And so I think, you know, in this case, you know, maybe depending on if he was disrespectful about it and so on and so forth, maybe deserves a little bit of a, a detention for how you went about it. But what he did, you know, the, the theory of I'm not going to be forced to listen to CNN. I agree with that. He shouldn't be forced to listen to CNN by his teacher. Um, and I thought that was hilarious. Just, you know, really funny. So um, 
We've got a lot, a lot. I mean, man, so much news. So I told you about the protests earlier. I missed this part of it. So I just want to post this real quick. Um, they did one of these rallies against sexualization of kids in Florida this weekend. Okay. And that was again, gays against groomers, mom army and, uh, freedom forever supported these, um, wasn't there. Freedom forever was in Nashville, but they supported all these and were one of the partners listed on the, uh, flyers for all these things. Anyways, uh, Antifa showed up and actually opposed a rally to not sexualize children. Let that sink in. Okay. Antifa is literally on the side of sexualizing children. So, you know, I mean, how, how does anybody, how does anybody make any excuse for this group of people? They are absolute radicals, okay? Sick, sick people, in my view, very sick people, um, including, a, a, you know, sick people in our stories. Uh, we've got another one. So this is the uh, vaccine passport that they talked about at the G20. So the World Health Organization and all these countries agreed to a standardized international vaccine passport that will be introduced as a revision to the international health regulations during the next World Health Assembly in Geneva. I just want to make people aware of that because um, we're getting into this dangerous authoritarian territory on a daily basis, more and more and more and more. And this is another piece of that system. The US already is requiring uh, proof of vaccine for international travelers to come into our country. That also needs to end. And I think that Congress needs to use that as a bargaining chip as well. If Biden wants to get anything done in his last two years, we've got to force him to do 20 or 30 things for every one thing he wants to do. And this should be one of those things on that list is end all of this. U.S. cannot participate in any vaccine passport schemes. If they do, oh, there is going to be mass protests all across the country if they institute vaccine passports on us for any reason. And so I'm just I want to make that very clear. Um now let's see here. We've got some more stories. Oh, this is something I personally thought about this weekend and I felt like was important to share with everybody. Just the reality that thousands of child rapists have been have spent less time in prison than the January 6th political prisoners. And I want everybody to think about that because many of these people have not even had a trial. Okay. So assuming some did some bad things and were violent. Okay. Obviously we oppose that, but still in America, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they're Antifa, they were entitled to a speedy trial from a jury of their peers and the January 6th political prisoners have not received that, okay? And it just shows how far off we've gone as a country. It really does. It's disgusting. And I think that, you know, when you think about this, it also takes me to another end uh, that we don't have the consequences that we should have for these child predators. We need lawmakers to step up and introduce bills that have appropriate penalties for child rapists, traffickers, and the purveyors of child sexual abuse material. It's very simple. We need, in my view, to have consequences in the legal system. I want to be very, very, very clear because of social media terms of service. I want to be very clear. I'm never calling for vigilante justice in these. This has to go to a court of law in all these child predator cases. They have to get a guilty plea. And I'm just talking about the consequences within the justice system in the United States. I am advocating that lawmakers introduce laws then make it a minimum of life in prison for these child rapists and a maximum of uh, the death penalty. And in my personal opinion, that's what it should be for child rapists. And the fact that these people are getting out in one year is just disgusting. So next story here, um, further corruption. So if you've been following what happened in Arizona, 
Katie Hobbs was Secretary of State overseeing her own election for governor. And not only that, email was leaked this weekend showing that Secretary of State Katie Hobbs in Arizona was in regular communication with Twitter telling them who to censor, okay? And not only that, that is not the only thing she was in the news for. You guys ready for this? She was also in the news because Hobbs referred the Conchai, the Cochise uh, supervisors for potential criminal violations. The Cochise County supervisors, Tom Crosby and Peggy Judd, have been referred for potential criminal and civil offenses for refusing to verify the election, to certify the election as her win. So you have a woman literally using her power to strike down upon the very people whose job it is to certify or not certify an election and say, no, you have to certify the election declaring me the winner or I'm going to have you thrown in jail. What does that sound like to you? Because that sounds like a communist country to me. That doesn't sound like America where people are free to make their own decisions and within the context of their jobs, make a determination to the best of their ability based on what they believe is true, honest and right. And, you know, if you want to if you want to go and you want to fight that, take it to court. But to refer them for criminal for criminal consequences is a whole different deal. Katie Hobbs is a tyrant. She is a radical and she is somebody who should not be within 10 feet of governor's office unless it involves her being in handcuffs. Um, I mean, the whole story there is lunacy. As you guys know, um, Carrie Lake is, is a great friend of mine. I love Carrie. I've been a big believer in her. I think she got absolutely just, I'm trying to think of nice words here. The system did absolutely everything it could to undermine her because of how dangerous she is to the Democrats. In a fair race with no problems where everybody can vote, and you don't have thousands and thousands upon thousands of people being turned away because of broken tabulators and things along those lines in Maricopa County, I don't think there's any question who wins. No question, okay? And you know, if we had a system that demanded one day, one vote and count the votes in one day, again, it would be a landslide, absolute landslide. And you know, again, this is a question I always pose to the Democrats. What is your opposition to counting all the votes in one day? Shouldn't you want, like you talk, they talk about democracy. You know, like we need to protect democracy. We need to have fair and free elections. Well, if you care about fair and free elections, you need everybody in your country to trust them. If they don't, then you don't have free and fair elections. Even if they are actually free and fair, if the whole country or half the country or a quarter of the country does not trust your elections, that's a large enough chunk of people to go, eh, we've got to fix these problems or we have a problem on our hands because if that's the belief system, we're not getting full participation of the people in the vote because if people don't trust it, they're less likely to show up. We know this, it's just statistical fact. And so when you look at all this, I think it's very clear that it's intentional that they would like to keep a system that undermines our power as voters by ensuring that we don't trust it. And that's something that I try to pose to Democrat average voters so that they start thinking and getting their, their brain going in terms of critical thought around this into why would they oppose us counting the votes in one day? Why would they oppose, you know, uh, ID? Okay. Why would they oppose that? And again, if they bring up race, 
you know, the most racist thing is to pretend that black and Latino people don't have IDs. I'm personally offended by being Latino. The idea I can't get an ID, like, do they think I'm an animal or something? I, I'm a human being just as capable as anybody else. Skin color does not prohibit you from getting an ID. And I'm all for even paying for the voter IDs so that it's not a poll tax, quote unquote. You know, I, I'm all for that. Make it free. But we need to have voter IDs so we know who people are and it's verified. You vote in one day. You know, and that's it. And people don't trust the machines, you know, and we saw why, you know, when you have these these breaking machines and things like that, that happened in Maricopa County, it's happened in all these elections. People, for good reason, do not feel safe with them. And it's a large enough group of people that we have to take heed of that and offer at the very least a major alternative. But honestly, what is the problem with going back to a system where it's paper ballots and it's hand counted? And you double and triple check the hand count to make sure it's all right. I mean, this is a big deal. This affects the world and our entire country, every one of us. We should want the system trusted by everyone. And right now it's not. And that's a problem. And, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to play for you all today is this video. This video really breaks down. You know, I was thinking when I was talking about the story with myself, <laughs> when I was talking to myself, um, that the democracy thing, you know, the Democrats will not shut up about, we need to save democracy. We need democracy this, democracy that. I want to play this video for you. And uh, my apologies, I don't know who the man is, um, but I heard it. I heard the audio from it. And it really struck home with me because this audio, it really captures why the Democrats are doing this uh, this push where they talk about democracy all the time. So just just watch this video because it explains everything. And I think it just it gives great information. And if you want to screen record, it's something you can play for people in your family who may find it interesting as well. So let me play Constitutional it. Republic, not a democracy. The ideal of a democracy is universal equality. The ideal of a constitutional republic is individual liberty. A democracy always degenerates into dictatorship, which promises government-guaranteed equality and security, but it delivers nothing but poverty and serfdom for the people it robs and rules. America was founded as a constitutional republic to safeguard the liberties of the people against the tyranny of democracy or of one-man dictatorship. In this century, great strides have been made toward the goal of subverting our republic into a democracy. The foremost tactic of the subverters is subversion of language. By calling America a democracy until people thoughtlessly accept and use the term, the totalitarians have obscured the real meaning of our principles of government. So I thought that video was very informative, very instructive in terms of why they say this. I mean, you let me know in the in the comments. I'm, I'm able to, to check those comments and see what you're saying. But um, I, I felt like that was very informative and a really good description of why they consistently, continually keep bringing up this whole we need to save democracy thing, okay? It's it's really just a tactic for tyranny, okay? To get to the type of dictatorship they really want. So let me go next story. This is a big one, very important. This is another one. I should have put this more at the top of the show, so my apologies, we're covering it late, but um, this is a big one. Harmeet Dillon is challenging Ronald... Romney McDaniel for RNC chair. They missed that middle part. Ronna Romney McDaniel, yes, related to Mitt Romney for RNC chair. Harmeet said, I feel that we owe it to our voters to have a serious debate about the leadership of the party and what we must change to actually win in 2024. And uh, disclosure here, Harmeet is my attorney. 
I support her immensely. She has been such a fighter for our party, for the people. And as I've said a million times before I had any idea that she was going to run for chair, Ronna Romney McDaniel cannot be the chair of the RNC. Okay. She has failed. This should have been a massive victory in November that we just did not have. You know, we had this red trickle. We should have had a massive red tsunami. And it was a failure on the RNC's part on a million fronts from recruiting to where they spent their money to their priorities. It was all wrong. And who they empower, that's another big one. You know, how is it that the RNC has not empowered people like Scott Pressler who have been out there boots on the ground, fighting to register voters, fighting to get voters activated, and the RNC has not even made contact with him. That's inexcusable. Somebody like uh, Harmy Dillon in that RNC chair seat, she will not only fundraise like crazy, she will also empower the right people, care about the right issues, and put the right issues first. And she's not afraid to go after the Democrats, okay? She's not Mitt Romney-esque. This is somebody who is by the people, for the people, of the people, and she will fight for the average Republican voter. And that is a change that the RNC desperately needs, is somebody who represents the actual voters instead of corporate interests and corporate donors. And that is why she has a thousand percent of my support. Um, and also because she's been so deeply involved in the California GOP and has held a host of positions there. Um, but she was a big part of their ability to go out and ballot harvest better than Democrats. And so if you see how many House wins we had in uh, the Republican Party in 2020 and 2022 in California and seats where, you know, everybody said, oh, you don't have a chance. It's because people like her worked so hard on the California GOP operation to win those congressional districts by virtue of the fact that they upped the game when it came to ballot harvesting. And so we need to go and extract what they did with ballot harvesting and translate that out to the other parts of the country where they have legalized ballot harvesting and where we're getting our butts kicked by the Democrats. And so that's why, for a million different reasons, we need to support Harmy Dillon as next RNC chair. So um, I'm going to be supporting her. In your own state, this is how the elections work for the RNC. So in your own state, y'all have, I think it's uh, three representatives to the RNC in each state. Um, they all get a vote. Um, they're a part of your Republican Party state structure. So these are people elected by your own uh, party chairs uh, within your state and, and uh, GOP officials in your state. And so it's easy to find who they are. So find your, your RNC members uh, for your state, reach out to them, send them an email, let them know that you want them to support Harmie Dillon every email, every every phone call, it all makes a difference and it helps get us to the right place because each one of those people have a vote. A lot of them are being strong-armed by Ronna Romney McDaniel into supporting her in exchange for whatever. I don't even know what it is she's offering, but um, she's apparently, I've heard, strong-arming people into voting for her. So we need those people who have voting power to hear from the people and hear that the people want them to elect a new RNC chair and get away from this track record of failure we have under Ronna Romney McDaniel. Um, next story, horrible one, horrible. Before I get into this, okay, I said I'd get into education. Some of the stuff we're going to cover here on out is, um, you know, I'd say not, I wouldn't have your children around or listening to. So if you need to pause, pause, come back. And um, by the way, if you can, please make sure you're subscribed on every platform for this, because that's really important to the growth of the show. And also, 
share the show. If I can ask you all a favor right now as we continue for the rest of the show today, um, before we jump into all that, if you can, please share the show. You know, go ahead and write a post up and tell your friends to, to watch the show. Let them know that we're doing it almost every day weekly and that it's informative. If you feel it's informative, just tell them how you feel about it. And so your friends know this is a great place to go for the truth and to have these types of conversations because that's what helps us grow is you guys sharing the show. Okay. Um, we're not doing advertising. We're not going out there pulling ads and saying, oh, please come watch our show. This is all word of mouth. We're the people, by the people, of the people. You guys are responsible for the growth of the show. Um, and I'm responsible for telling the truth. <laughs> you know, as simple as that. So, uh, but jumping into it, here's the next story. Teacher claims queer library with BDSM themed books helped kids figure out who they are. And it doesn't stop there. Then a California high school teacher says that they use their queer library to instruct teens in BDSM and strap-ons. A quote is, let's talk about dildos. I think a lot of people assume that where there is no penis, a desperate sexual void is created. I mean, these people are lunatics. And here's a photo, by the way, shocker. Okay, shocker. Photos of these people. Um, shocker. And we've exposed a bunch of these books. One of those books you see on screen right now, this book is gay. We've exposed that book. It's absolutely pornographic disgusting. It has nothing to do with the fact that it's about gay people. It's about the sexual content. And that's the thing they try to, they're very, very wicked in the way they try to sell this stuff. They try to go, Oh, you're, you're homophobic. If you have a problem with this book. Okay. It has nothing to do with people hating gay people, why they don't want these books in kids schools. Okay. It's the same thing with books about straight stuff where you're putting pornographic images or pornographic descriptions of sexual in, uh, encounters and sexual behaviors and dangerous behaviors. You know, all of these things are things that we should not expose children to. But these people are doing it. And not only are they doing it, they think they're virtuous for doing it. And that's what's so disgusting about it is they actually think like they have a position in the kid's life of authority where they're supposed to do this. They're supposed to teach kids about sex. Nobody signed up for them to do this, okay? They have grossly, grossly overstepped their authority and their boundaries, honestly. I mean, I think it's just disgusting. And this goes hand in hand with these, you know, other things we're seeing outside of school, like family-friendly drag shows. In fact, we've seen these family-friendly drag shows come into schools now too. It's disturbing. None of this stuff can ever be accepted. It can never be normalized, never be allowed to continue. We have to stand up to it. And I think we've done a good job of doing that. And we're going to continue to. Um, but I wanted to bring that story up to warn you guys. I mean, these educators, these radicals, they are everywhere. Okay. This is not a small problem. This is a real problem in education. It starts at the top. It starts at the teachers' unions. It starts with people like Randy Weingartner or whatever her last name is. Um, I don't know how to pronounce it. She is a radical, okay? Randy Weingartner, or Gartner, however you say it, she is an absolute leftist, activist, far left, okay? The lady is, is better described as a Marxist and would like a world where literally, you know, children are just absolutely indoctrinated and re-educated at school so that if they have conservative parents, well, they're disabused of that immediately because... because the teachers from the teachers union will teach them what they really need to think, not how to think, not how to critically think, but what to think. That's what they believe their position is for children. And it's disturbing. You know, um, speaking of disturbing, you know, let's jump into this story. 
an executive director at Planned Parenthood's sex education arm, claims that children are born sexual while simultaneously advocating for comprehensive sex education from kindergarten through 12th grade and porn literacy for certain ages. We're going to continue down this story. In 2015, he said, we have in our society an assumption of asexuality of people with intellectual disabilities. It's a myth that's perpetuated. And really, we're all sexual beings from birth until death. From birth. Okay, so he says we are sexual beings from birth. His name is Bill Taverner. He's advocated for sexual education at U.S. Congressional Briefings, is the executive director of Planned Parenthood Center for Sexual Education located in New Jersey. The center provides training materials nationally and hosts the largest conference for sex educators in the U.S. Planned Parenthood said in a guide entitled The Fundamentals of Teaching Sexuality that sexuality is a part of life through all the ages and stages. Babies elders and everyone in between can experience sexuality. These people are sick. They are evil. They are monstrous. Okay. And I want to help expose what's going on with CSE. Get familiar with this term, CSE, comprehensive sexual education. Within a certain period of time, that is going to become as well known as CRT. Okay. Because CSE is another one of their Marxist tools to destroy the minds of children and destroy their innocence, okay? What these CSE programs do, by the way, to get away with this, is they change their names in every locality that they can in case some eagle-eyed parent catches on to what they're doing. Because if you catch on and you get it removed, well, they don't want parents in the next town to find out. So let's take a situation where Sally finds out that her son Johnny's being taught a CSE program called, mm, let's say, um, Safe Sexual Education for Kids. And it's actually a radical program where they're teaching kids BDSM, kink, all kinds of crazy stuff. And that parent goes to the school board, they get it removed. And Jennifer in the next town over finds out about it and she goes, oh, I want to see if they have that program in my kid's school so we can make sure we protect our kids. They go to their school and their school system says, oh, why no? Don't worry about it, Jennifer. We have a different program. It's called Abstinence Plus. And Jennifer goes, well, Abstinence Plus, that sounds good. That doesn't sound like a scary name. We're all good. Well, you're not all good because guess what? These CSE programs are being called names that have nothing to do with what they're teaching, including some called things like abstinence plus, okay? These people never underestimate their evil and what they're willing to do to destroy children's minds. These CSE programs are sick, they are twisted, and they're trying to sexualize little kids from the time that they hit the hands of teachers, okay? These teachers unions are a big part of the push. The people at the top of them are pure evil in my view and are one of the largest threats to the future of America because of the influence they have over children. And this goes to a wider point I wanted to talk about today. Who is raising your kids? Because in my house, I can confidently say that my wife and I are raising our kids. We are raising our kids up to be warriors for the truth, for their values, and for our family. They have a value system. They have a value set bestowed upon them by their parents. But that is sadly not the case everywhere in our country. And it is time for some introspection from parents. 
to be able to truthfully answer that question about who is raising your kid. Is it an iPad? Is it a screen? Is it a teacher who you barely know? Is it a school system at large? Is it music? What is it? Is it, is it a combination of all of those things together? Because if it's not you confidently saying, I'm the one raising my kid, they are a reflection of my values, it is not too late to change it. Might be a little uncomfortable, but guess what? Being a good parent is about being uncomfortable sometimes. It is whatever it takes to be a good parent. Sometimes your kids won't be happy with it. Other times they will. And guess what? When they're adults, they'll be the happiest among all because they will know that you did the right thing. Because once they have their own children, that perspective, well, that breathes new life into understanding the hard things parents have to do when they love their kids to reflect their values and to make sure that their kids are strong. And so that's my question from this story is who's raising your kids? I know who's raising mine, but I know there's some people out there. You may not want to answer that question immediately. You may reflexively or defensively say, oh, me. But the truth is a large number of people, even people who are awake, even people who want the truth, who are hungry for the truth, are still guilty of letting people that they barely know raise their kids. And so at least in our case, you know, we care about who our kids' teachers are. We care what school they go to, what they're exposed to, all these things. We're eagle-eyed over everything that touches our kids' lives and their mind because we understand these formative years, they decide and dictate so much of the reality of these kids and what their focus is and their values are. So that's my question to you. Who's raising your kids? If it matters, really sit down and ask that question to yourself and make sure that you're happy with what that answer is. That's what I've got to say on that. Um, you know, but again, these people are monsters who are doing these CSE programs. You don't even want to know the stuff that we have found. We've been talking about CSE, my wife Landon and I, for I guess our oldest daughter's 14. She started school um, pretty young. So she, she was probably, I want to say, six years old when we started talking about this because we had deeply, deeply researched into it. So we'd been researching probably 10 years ago, getting prepared for when our kids would go to school and then, you know, stepping in and asking the questions as they got further into school as we look toward the future about what things were going to look like. And, you know, as we got into, I mean, we found things like them teaching things like fisting, blood play, hurting each other, cutting each other. Um, I mean, things that kids should not be exposed to. This is not just about, you know, how do you keep yourself safe? How do you, how do you prevent yourself from getting STDs? It's none of that stuff. And even that stuff, that stuff should all be about parents. Parents should be the ones educating their kids. And again, this is about that question, who is raising your kids? Don't be afraid to talk to your kids about these subjects. You were the best educator your kids could hope for, and God empowered you to be their dad and their mom. Okay. You were their parents. You were empowered to be their teacher above all other human beings. So accept that role, step into it, teach them what they need to know. Don't trust some woke teacher who you barely know to tell them and teach them what the realities of these subjects are. Okay. Um, I think that we, we head into very dangerous territory when we trust these people with these important issues. Another thing I wanted to talk about, um, quick drink of water and then we'll get into it. You can read the tweet. 
So many of you know uh, Robert Reich. He was a labor secretary previously, which should scare the heck out of everybody. Um, but he said, call me a radical lefty, but I think it should be easier to get a life-saving abortion than a deadly assault rifle. That's what he said, okay? Lunacy. How anybody, how anybody could call an abortion life-saving just blows my mind. I mean, I don't know how much more disgusting and vile you can get than to call the killing of a child a life-saving procedure and then to call guns deadly afterwards. Here's the reality. Every abortion kills a life, every single one, at minimum one, many times multiple, okay? Abortion always kills somebody. Guns do not. In fact, guns oftentimes save lives without ever being fired. Just brandishing in certain cases has saved people. In home intrusions, just brandishing has saved countless lives. Shooting where you haven't killed somebody has saved, again, countless lives from being raped brutally, from having your family murdered by a wrongdoer, okay? Guns have been life-saving in many, many contexts. Abortion is not. And so these people selling, you know, these ideas on the left, this goes back to what I talked about earlier with just the absolute divorce they've had from common sense. This is common sense stuff that even if you were one of these people who wants, you know, abortion at all times, at least have the common sense to not pretend that it's something that it's not at least acknowledge that you're killing somebody have have the have the courage to acknowledge what you're doing okay have the have the at least you know honestness with yourself at least you know i mean it just it blows my mind that they've deluded themselves into this idea that this is some life-saving amazing thing it it just it disgusts me and it sometimes leaves me at a loss for words the whole subject because i just can't imagine I just can't imagine having that view on the world. I really can't. Um, another view I can't imagine having is uh, what Los Angeles has toward energy. Los Angeles is banning all new oil wells and will phase out existing ones. They say that um, environmental activists have argued that the operation of the wells primarily affects Black, Latinx, and other communities of color who live near the oil wells. Okay, I'm so sick of these people. I am so sick of them. I mean, if we can learn anything from them, it's that our conservative activism has to be more committed because these people are committed. I mean, they will glue themselves to a wall. They will put ice cream on there. I mean, they'll do anything they have to to get attention and to make sure they're noticed and that the media runs with this stuff. But here's the deal. These people are lunatics. I'm so sick of the Latinx thing, okay? Latinos are leaving the Democratic Party in droves over it. Okay, and they don't realize something as simple as that wakes up so many Latinos and makes them look at the issues and go, well, these people are way out of alignment with our values. First of all, vast majority of Latinos are pro-life, okay? They're very family-oriented. They're all about hard work. They're not about handouts. And many of them are surviving socialism. You know, a lot of them, their families originally 
ended up here because socialism destroyed the country they were in. And these were people who believed in freedom in those previous places and were forced to flee because communists wanted to kill them. Okay, so stop calling us Latinx, okay? It, it, it just, in fact, actually, you know what? Keep doing it, keep doing it. It's waking people up, so you, you keep it up. Keep it up, Democrats, keep calling us Latinx. Let's see how that works out for you in the future when Latinos are set to be, they already are the largest minority voting block, but set to be the deciding voting block, okay? They won't be the majority, but they will be a deciding voting block on who wins elections. And when we take the vast majority of Latino votes, you are going to regret calling everybody Latinx. But I hope you keep doing it. Keep it up. Let's see how it works out for you. Um, speaking of gas and oil, Russia has warned that it will cut off oil supply after countries vote for $60 per barrel price cap per CBS News. Let me explain this new story to y'all. So I warned about this um, in one of our very first live streams since I brought the show back. I said, this is coming, okay? There's going to be a group of nations who are going to get together and try to set a price cap on oil that comes from Russia uh, because, you know, obviously energy has gone out of control, but they got themselves into this mess. And actually, President Trump warned about this. He warned Germany. He warned a number of European countries that they were far too, um, you know, they, they were they were depending on them far too much. So, they didn't listen, though. They laughed at Trump. They laughed at the previous administration. They laughed at the idea that they were too dependent on Russia for oil. But in the end, they were, period. Everybody can see that plainly now as the end result of this. So Russia is essentially making a power play here. Um, after the EU countries uh, said, we're going to put this price cap in place, you can't charge us more than this, Russia laughed and said, cool, we're not giving you oil. That's their power play because these European countries can't survive without it. They will go into a really dark winter. Remember the dark winter that people were promised if you didn't get vaccinated? Well, this is the real dark winter. Is they're not going to have power during winter if Russia cuts off oil and it will kill people and it'll kill enough people to cause some serious civil unrest in these EU countries. Support for the war is about to nosedive if that becomes the reality because the minute these people don't have heat, and their grandma died because she froze to death, people are going to be rethinking their support for the war that is essentially responsible. Actually, but what's really responsible is the fact that these EU leaders trusted Russia in the first place and depended on one country above all else, a country known for getting into perilous situations, got into bed with them and depended on them to provide something as essential as oil. Okay? So this is why in the U.S. I have long advocated we must be an energy independent country, produce everything ourselves. And here's the thing. If you are an environmentalist, and I know I have a number of people who actually are followers of, of the show and myself on social media who are environmentalists, I actually think that there are great environmentalists out there. I myself would even consider myself something of an environmentalist because I believe in conservation for animals and for natural spaces. I think that our green areas are so important, our woods you know, in, in the South are so important, our marshes in places like Florida, our oceans, all of this stuff is important to protect, preserve, and make sure that our children have in the future. Now, um, environmentalists, though, will, will know with this that if your concern is about, you know, pollution, that's a different type of environmentalism. And um, if your concern is based around, oh, pollution from, from getting oil, well, here's the reality. 
you can go pay some third world country to produce your oil or the Middle East to produce your oil or Russia to produce your oil. But here's the reality. They don't do it clean. Okay. When they do it, it's dirty, it's cheap, and they don't care about the environment. At least here in the United States, they do. Okay. So when we make oil, it's the cleanest you could possibly get in terms of pollution. So even those people who cry about the environment from the, the standpoint of pollution, they should be the first people advocating for us to drill in the United States, period. If you want to get away from those places who do it dirty and are truthfully polluting the environment and causing actual harm to people by releasing toxins into the air, then drill it here where we have some standards, okay? That's the truth about it. Um, nobody wants to talk about that, but that's the truth. And again, by the way, back to the back to the story in Los Angeles, though, real quick. Um, this one with the oil ban. I just want to say, at what point is Los Angeles and California just going to be honest and put like future apocalypse zone on there? You know how how states put like welcome to Florida or welcome to Tennessee. California needs to put like welcome to the future apocalypse. Everything they do is geared toward a dystopian future where it's like hyper rich and hyper poor and everybody hates each other and you can't say anything without being arrested by the thought police. And oh, by the way, yeah, a homeless person might stab you on the way to get groceries, but don't be a bigot and say anything about it. And you know, if Michael, who's actually Sally, comes into your bathroom, you have to accept it. And if Sally, who's actually Michael, comes into your bathroom, you have to accept it. And don't say anything if they stare at you uncomfortably long in the locker room while you're nude. You don't get to say anything because you're a bigot if you do. That's California, okay? And at what point can they just be honest and be like, yeah, welcome to the future apocalypse because that's what they're shaping up to be. That's just my take. Um, now, next thing, real ID. People who know me, know that uh, I've been opposed to the real ID for a very long time. I refuse to get one. I don't have one. I think the whole thing is a farce. If you guys remember, this was cooked up after 9-11 as one of their TSA procedures um, to, to strengthen you know, the, the security of airports, and blah, blah, blah. Today, the Department of Homeland Security announced its intent to extend real ID's full enforcement date by 24 months from May 2023 to May 2025 under the new regs published to execute this change. States will have additional time to make sure drivers get their real ID, blah, blah, blah. This is like the 20th time they've delayed it, um, if my memory serves me correctly. And I'm being a little facetious. It's been less than that. But they've, they've delayed it a number of times. And the truth is people are not adopting it because they don't want it, okay? And here's the thing. Here's why it's a joke. There's a number of reasons why the real ID is a joke. But here's number one. They let illegal immigrants on planes every day all across America with no ID, okay? No vetting, no checks. They just bring them into the airport. I've watched it with my own eyes, okay? A number of times. This is common practice today, every single day. Thousands of people. DHS gives them a packet. It has a cleared COVID test, which is, by the way, fake in many cases. Um, it has a number of other pieces of paper. No vetting. No ID is checked. I've watched them come up to TSA. They say, I don't have ID. They show their DHS paper that's hanging on their neck. And, say, and, it, and it doesn't even say their name, nothing. It's like they can't even see a paper. It's just a folder that they see. It's like this like plastic thing, okay? Um, they have one that goes around the neck and then one that you hold. It depends on where you are. But they'll just like hold it and be like, I am this, you know? And TSA just lets them go. Just lets them go through. And so as long as illegal immigrants can just walk through an airport with no ID, 
this thing's a massive joke. I'm not even going to go into all the privacy and, and security issues and everything else that, that are a farce with TSA. But let's just safe to say, as long as you're letting illegal immigrants just hop on a planes with no ID, don't tell us we need a real ID. It's insulting. And, and that's, that's why I will not get it. Um, this is a good piece of news for y'all. Every year, I do an annual Christmas gifts thread um, on Twitter. So you'll have to go to Twitter for this but we have amazing replies. And basically here's how it works. Um, I'm not great at coming up with ideas for what to buy people for Christmas. And so uh, I think like five years ago, something like that, I started asking people every year, reply to this tweet with your favorite gift ideas, things you would love or things you've bought for someone else that you think is a great idea. And then the rest of us who stink at ideas, we just go through the replies and we, we steal the ideas. So that's something that, um, you know, is very helpful to finding ideas. So if you want to see it here, I'll show it again real quick. Sorry, I was trying to find the second part of that tweet and I couldn't find it. But um, if you want these ideas, go to twitter.com slash Robbie Starbuck, okay? Or at Robbie Starbuck, however you search it out. Um, go there, you'll find the tweet. It was 24 hours ago. So it, I think I retweeted it though. So y'all would be able to find it real easy. So just scroll through my feed. You'll see it. Look at the replies, amazing ideas. Um, and if you like any of it, there's also a link underneath for some really fun uh, wrapping paper, which helps support the show. So just use the promo code Robbie that's attached to it, and you'll you'll help support us. Um, you can also, if you want to, if you want to support the show, you know, help the sponsors that we have, like My Pillow. Go to MyPillow.com, use promo code Robbie. You get over half off of all products. Um, it's over 60% off, over 65% off on all products if you use code Starbuck. Um, and then at bravebooks.us, great gift for your kids, nieces, nephews, any kid who's book reading age from early childhood on. They've got amazing books that are in alignment with our values. And, um, you know, one of the books I wrote, and it's just a fantastic series of books that really teaches our values and is very interactive, has uh, basically um, a lesson plan almost at the end too, where the kids put these, these values into practice and into reality and games. And it's super fun for the whole family. Uh, but it's, it's been so entertaining for our own kids. They've got a treasure box that has like 20 different items in it. That is a really fun Christmas gift. Uh, but you get 15% off everything at the store if you use promo code Robbie and that helps support the show as well. Um, some other things. Let's see what else I wanted to show you all today. Um, oh, okay. So the world's gone officially crazy. And I just wanted to show you. Do you guys remember Stephen Colbert did a vaccine song thing that was really embarrassing where he had live dancers and everything? Well, I didn't know this, but he continued to do this and has continued vaccine song scenes. So I had to see it. So now you have to suffer through it too. Welcome to Crazy Town. The vaccine. When we poke ya, well, we know you're gonna be, you're gonna be safe from COVID infecting you. When you go out, yeah, I know you're gonna hug, you're gonna hug and not worry, it might kill you.
I am so embarrassed for our country and for the human race. I mean, this is, people have lost their minds. Nothing screams confident. I'm so confident about my decision more than making a video like that. I mean, there is a lot of psychological stuff to work out there and we don't have the time to do it. But I pray Stephen Colbert gets the help he needs and his crazy weird fixation on COVID somehow gets dealt with with the appropriate medical authority or somebody that is willing to step in and help because there's a problem there. There's a serious problem there. I mean, it's a, uh, that's pathological. That's all I've got to say. A um, couple updates before we're done for today. So um, number one, episode two of our pre-taped episodes are going to come out this week. It's going to be unique. And I'm going to tell you ahead of time, this is not what we typically plan to do episodes on what our, our second episode is about. It's um, it's going to be about God. It's going to be about Jesus. It's going to be about the place of the church in politics. And we're going to get deep into it. I've brought two of my very close pastor friends on. One is uh, Pastor Rob McCoy, who's the leader of an amazing church uh, called God Speak in Thousand Oaks, California. And Rob has become a fixture in conservative media speaking out against the vaccine mandates and the way that they treated churches during COVID and the place of religion and religious liberty in the world of politics. And the other one is going to be uh, one of my own, my personal pastor, um, Pastor Clint Mosley, because he's he's just fantastic, fantastic guy who's on fire for God and his values are in the right place. And I felt like it was so important to have the conversation about the place of the church when it comes to government, because I can guarantee you guys, I guarantee you, that as we head into 2024, we are going to hear relentlessly about the rise of Christian nationalism and trying to tie being Christian to being a white supremacist or so on and so forth. It's going to be crazy town, okay, what they try to do in the media. But the truth is Christianity has a place at the table. This idea of separation of church and state is one that has been very deceiving for many for a long time, because a lot of people have the idea that, oh, well, separation of church and state means that, well, well, religion is just supposed to stay out of government. And that's just not the case. I mean, if you read the Bible, it is very clear that religion absolutely does have a place within government, that your values need to dictate who you put in power, and that um, there's responsibilities there, and that we as men and women, we have to be vocal about those. We can't shy away from it. And that churches have really done a disservice who have tried to depoliticize their message, you know, by avoiding certain subjects in hopes of growing the church and how that really is not in alignment with the faith that we're supposed to have. And I think that those pastors who are doing so, trying to build these mega churches off of very lukewarm ideas, are really doing a disservice to the faith and I think to the country. And so in this episode, we're going to be calling for the direction forward, how, how it needs to look, uh, what we need to do to inspire the right moves from people, from pastors, from clergy. And, you know, I think that it's going to be very interesting. It's not something that I plan to do. And to, to be brutally honest with you, I'm just going to tell you how it came to be. So I was in church on a Tuesday and I was listening to Pastor Clint's message, and it was so powerful, it was so powerful. And at that moment, I really felt like on my heart from God was, you know, that I needed to talk about this more. I need to talk about faith more. I need to talk about the place of faith in government. And that this is coming in terms of the media trying to assault Christianity and its place in government. 
um, by trying to frame it as, you know, some really dangerous thing. And so I want to be ahead of it and trust what has been put on my heart, which is to talk about this. Um, secondary thing. I think that's it for today. Um, only thing I wanted to do before we close up the show today is play y'all, um, a, let's see here. So by the way, sorry, before we get to the next thing, that episode of the pastors is going to drop later this week and I'll post it on all socials when it comes out, but get set up for notifications so that when it comes out, you get it. Those uploads typically happen at six in the morning so that everybody, you know, if you're driving to work or whatever, you can listen to it. You don't always have to watch visually. If you just want the audio, you can turn on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you use, Spotify, whatever it is, and you can search Robbie Starbuck, follow the show on there, the Robbie Starbuck show, and you'll get a notification when it uploads. And you can listen there. I think it's going to be a really, really important conversation. I know that it is not the click worthy thing that, you know, shows typically try to build what they talk about around getting the most eyeballs. Uh, when it came to this episode, we didn't think about that. We just thought about what is the message that has to go out there? What message is important? And this one felt very important to put out there. So it's going to be the episode for this week on the pre-taped. Um, and then next week it's going to be, uh, you know, sitting down with people who have been affected by, these vaccine mandates. So uh, hope to have you guys join in and tell me what you think too with, with the episodes. Please, I read the comments. I'm, I'm taking to heart any criticisms and things like that in terms of things you would like to see more of, things you would like to see less of, uh, format and you know all that. I trust you guys. You know This is a show ultimately meant to build around what the people want. So if you want certain things covered more, or you think that the format is wonky in one way or another, or you'd like to see something added to it, just, just comment. You know, I don't get offended by constructive criticism. So, um, I think that's it. Only thing I was going to do is if you have not seen the episode of the pre-tape that we released last Thursday, go see it. My links are everywhere. It's on my rumble page. It's on YouTube. It's on, um, all the podcast platforms, but it's the first pre-tape episode with Chris Beck, the previously transgender soldier who has announced exclusively on our show that uh, he is no longer transgender and that this whole thing was basically a scam perpetrated on him and that the VA was part of it. Doctors were a part of it. And what he did was really brave. And the talk has been received widely so well. And everybody said it was so informative. And I, I really, I feel blessed by, the, the response to it, because we had over half a million people, half a million exposed to the very first episode of the podcast, the pre-taped podcast. And that's incredible. I was not expecting half a million people to interact with that first episode at all. And those are individual people that interacted. And um, that blows my mind, honestly. So thank you guys, everybody who shared it and got it out there. I couldn't believe the numbers from that first week. And I think second week will probably dip down a little bit. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll be, you know, pleasantly surprised. and It'll be something that gets shared all over the place. But I just, I really felt like it was an important thing. So um, I hope everybody enjoys it. But I'm going to play the trailer for the first episode for anybody who has not already seen it. So you can understand what it's about and then head over to our links and watch that first episode. Uh, but again, like, subscribe, send to your friends, share this today with your friends so that we can continue to grow the show. Here's that trailer to sign us off. 
So you may or may not have seen in 2013 an interview with a Navy SEAL, Chris Beck. He came out as a transgender Navy SEAL. But why we're here today is because of everything happening in America with this transition craze that's going on with kids. You have something that you want to tell the world. What is that? Everything you see on CNN with my face, do not even believe a word of it. Everything that happened to me for the last 10 years, they destroyed my life. I destroyed my life. I'm not a victim. I did it to myself, but I had some help. Transgender ideology is, is cultish and it's not science-based at all. They take that desire, that innate human desire to want to change and to want to help people and they use it just like a cult leader would. And the parents are so desperate to fit in with this ideology because of the fear of the us them. They don't want to be othered. So now they're using the children as these trophies of like, look at me, I have a child that I'm accepting of. So thank you all so much for your help blowing that episode up and making it the success it was. Um, I really feel like this is a weird, you know, I'll be honest with you guys. Doing the show is a weird journey for me because it's not where I saw myself. Um, it's definitely not something I ever planned to do. And it really just felt like a continuation of expanding the activism base and a way to consolidate all of my thoughts into one place instead of skewed across a million places in an easy way to get everybody on the same page because we're definitely going to use the show for activism to get get the word out there like we did with this Balenciaga protest. Um, it was a massive success. So many people came to it. And the lives are being shared more and more across all platforms. And that helps so much. And, um, you know, I really feel like we can do so much good. And it starts with like, okay, so, you know, back, I don't know if you all remember this, when there was a little boy, he wanted a Nerf gun. And he went to uh, Santa, you know, a guy who was not really Santa, but was playing Santa, um, went to him and asked for a Nerf gun for Christmas. And the Santa was a commie and was like, and this is a real story, by the way, for those of you who don't remember this. He said, no, guns are dangerous. And um, the kid was very upset. And I saw that video and used the power of Twitter and the people who follow me there to get over a thousand Nerf guns sent to this kid. Um, his, his family was so grateful. It was an amazing story at the time. But again, it was something harnessing the power of just one of those platforms. The show I really hope will turn into a way to harness the power of all the platforms together so that we can do a ton of good in the world. And um, I really feel like, you know, it'll be our own little our own little change maker. And that's my hope for the show, really. It's not about, you know, money or any of that other stuff, because to be honest, um, you know, when I came out as conservative, I really burned down a career that was very lucrative and kept my family, you know, happy monetarily, like taken care of. And uh, this path is not one that, you know, is a massive money maker or anything, but it's, it's, it's about truth, you know, it's about truth and that's what matters. And my wife and I were lucky to, to make smart decisions and, you know, so on and so forth. So we were able to dedicate the time we've dedicated to it, but you know, the people support what the show keeps us going and keeps us going so that we can keep doing it and we can keep doing the activism. And I just want to thank you guys immensely for the support. And, uh, you know, at some point we'll probably introduce a, 
uh, some sort of subscriber option where you'll get some items in in exchange for you know being a, a monthly subscriber because we do need to sustain the show and pay editors and things like that for the pre-tapes and camera people and stuff like that. So hopefully you guys will be supportive of that when that time comes. But um, until then, I just appreciate y'all so much sharing the show. It really means so much to me. I'm going to sign off today because I'm babbling, but I appreciate y'all. See you guys soon.